after learning this diagnosis, it just made it very obvious why I was having so many issues and struggling in so many different areas. And that's also why it was difficult to diagnose because I wasn't presenting like a typical ADHD kid or person because I had so many coping strategies that it almost masked and like covered up what I was actually struggling with. Welcome to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I am your host, Justine Carino, licensed mental health counselor. I am here to lean into conversations about relationships, resilience, and recovery from life's challenges in order to support you on your journey to finding clarity in what you want for your future. We will talk about the things that no one else really wants to talk about in order to help you heal from past wounds and create a life that truly fulfills you. Please note, this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back to Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I'm really excited about my guest today. I am speaking with Jamie McLaughlin, lifestyle coach for moms, self-care strategist, and beauty expert. She is an amazing entrepreneur that is killing the self-care game, and I actually asked Jamie to come on my show, not because of the self-care aspect, but her unique experience of getting diagnosed with ADHD in her 30s. And that's kind of wild to be in your 30s and get diagnosed then. So that's what I really wanted to talk to you about, Jamie. So I am so intrigued by Jamie going through life all of these years without this diagnosis, but I'm also not surprised. I send so many of my female clients to get tested for ADHD in their teen years and 20s because it can be really missed. It's easily missed in childhood. If you typically perform well in school, maybe you're well-behaved in the school setting, and it's also more difficult to recognize symptoms of ADHD in girls than it is in boys. So I'm excited to talk to Jamie about all of this, and without further ado, let's get into it. Jamie, thank you so much for giving us your time today. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your career? Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on and just kind of shine a light on this topic because um, obviously for the longest time, it's ADHD in women is not a, a, a common conversation or anything that I had heard up until this past year. Um, so I'm excited to talk about it today. Um, so yes, I am, my name is Jamie McLaughlin. Um, I run an educational platform for moms. Um, I've got four kiddos and um, had a baby really young. I was 19 when I got pregnant and had a baby. So I've been hustling since then. We live in Texas. And I have a podcast, I have courses, um, a beauty course, a self-care course, uh, and I just really love helping women find strategic ways to learn how to care for themselves well. And it's just this really cool counterintuitive approach to changing the culture of our homes by really making sure that we are healthy and happy and stable and steady and balanced. And that's just really my focus is to strategize with women and help them come up with different ways to take care of themselves that fits in their current season. So that's what I do. And it kind of was not rooted from me being good at all this. It was rooted from me being terrible and dismissing my needs and, you know, playing the martyr for so long and realizing that it's just not sustainable. And, you know, you'll hear that through my whole story (laughs) that it doesn't work. Okay. I yelled at my daughter because she decided to dump an entire glass of water all over the bathroom floor on purpose while just looking me dead in the eyes. And in hindsight, it really felt like a mom fail that I reacted that way. 
You know, her spilling the water wasn't even a big deal. It didn't matter. I was just feeling really stressed out about work, getting to the kids to school on time. And it was just one more thing to clean up and deal with in the morning during chaos. And it was a little overwhelming. I'm a busy working mom. And for the longest time, this was almost a daily recurrence, yelling at my kids because I was so stressed out. And it kept happening because I didn't know how to take care of myself and get the care I needed. So instead, I became drained, overbearing, and an irritable mess in the house. (laughs) So now through intentional self-care strategies and some simple techniques for anxiety and stress management that have become non-negotiables for me, I am doing more that I enjoy and stressing less. I want you to have the same relief. I want you to have more days with less mom guilt, more moments of fun and presence with your kids, and making good memories with your family. Also, more of living your life well. Join me for the Path to Peace live group program to clarify and prioritize what you truly want for yourself and your family and learn how to slow down and say no more often to the things that don't align with you. You can learn more about the Path to Peace by clicking the link in the show notes or heading to carinocounseling.com. One thing that I really love about your messaging is you talk about self-care not just being like these fun things that moms should make time for, like having some wine with your friends or mani petties. You talk about it as being the hard work on yourselves, learning how to set boundaries, learning how to set boundaries with people in time. I love your messaging around that because I think self-care can get really misconstrued. People use it to sell products. People convince you that you need something in addition to your life um, where you talk about self-care is completely different and I honor that and respect that so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. So before you share your story with us, I think I should clarify with our audience what ADHD is. So ADHD is Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, which is a neurological condition that interferes with a person's ability to pay attention, to focus, to exercise inhibition and impulse control. And a person with ADHD can be so inattentive or impulsive or hyperactive or all the above that their daily functioning either at home, school, work, or all the above is compromised. ADHD usually becomes apparent in children during preschool in the early school years. So it's pretty incredible when people get diagnosed in their adulthood. So Jamie, you must have developed such an amazing way of coping with your symptoms to compensate for your challenges. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's the hard part is that for so long, people have looked at at me as this like hyper organized and, you know, really strong person. And it not all of these strengths and these skills that I have are not things that came natural to me. They were things that I had to develop in order to survive because I was drowning every single freaking day. And so I literally had no other option. It was like a sink or swim situation where every day was survival mode. And it was like, I cannot live like this anymore. I've got to figure out a solution. I've got to be more proactive. I mean, even like I designed a planner because I literally couldn't find a planner that worked for me. And so I was like, okay, like I can't keep living this disorganized. So I'm just going to make one. And I, you know, and so that's thankfully I went that route versus kind of downhill. And I'm so grateful for whatever reason that I was able to become like a problem solving action taking person. And I like refused to fail, but I have had so many opportunities to fail it's comical. 
I'm like, do I just attract chaos? Like, what is this? But after learning this diagnosis, it just made it very obvious why I was having so many issues and struggling in so many different areas. And that's also why it was difficult to diagnose because I wasn't presenting like a typical ADHD kid or person because I had so many coping strategies that it almost masked and like covered up what I was actually struggling with. So it, it was it was a long road to get to this point. That makes so much sense. Like you were dealing with so much that you didn't even know you were dealing with that you compensated for it and you worked really hard. So when this diagnosis came through, you're like, oh, this makes so much sense. Yeah. Like my whole life makes sense. <laughs> Yeah. In this moment, now it all makes sense in my 30s. -hmm. So I figured we should start from the beginning. What led you to get tested for ADHD? Yeah. So it's kind of a long story and not very clean cut like I wish it was. Um, (laughs) But Mm -hmm. it actually, you know, I have always struggled with you know, I've always been told that I was moody, rebellious, disrespectful, but yet in school, like I always got good grades. I never really had major issues. I definitely looking back had a lot of workarounds. I remember in high school, I would like buy my teachers Starbucks just so they would give me better grades and just so I could pass because I couldn't comprehend it and I didn't want to be there. And I've always been that person, like the lazy genius, like what is the shortest amount of effort I can put into this with like the max amount of results and like I always frustrate everyone and I'm super efficient, but I've always struggled with emotions. I thought that I had, you know, really bad PMS when I was growing up. I had a really hard relationship with my parents. We fought all the time. I moved out at midnight on my 18th birthday. I've never liked rules. I've just been, it's just been hard. And then I kind of went through, I thought was like a bout of depression, but I've always felt just like this like darkness and like this, this level of discontent. And always felt like there was something wrong with me or like just my life was terrible. And so I thought that it was depression but never did anything about it because I was a single mom. I was giving birth and breastfeeding and I was like, nope, I'm going to – that comes first. I'll have to deal with this after. I would just push through, push through. It finally came to a head um, three years ago now. We had moved to Texas to be closer to family. We were living in Phoenix. My husband's from England. We had no family around. We were stressed out. Everything felt chaotic. I was running a business. He was working full-time, and we just did not have any support. So we moved to Texas to be closer to my mom and my stepdad. My sisters were going to move out here. We sell our house, get rid of half our stuff, move here. A week after we move here, my parents found out that they were getting transferred and they left. So we – and none of my sisters were moving. Yeah, so they ended up transferring out. So then we really were in a situation where we had no one, no friends, no family, didn't know a soul here. It was a dark time because we were like, what is – like I don't get it. Within that time, my son fell and broke his arm straight in half. It was disgusting. It was probably – and it sounds so silly because it's just a broken arm, but it honestly was what, like extremely traumatic for me. And I think it was because of the stress we already were under, and then it was just like the icing on the cake. And it just – it sent me into this place like I was so out of control. And I'm a very naturally minded person when it comes to medication. I would rather not be on medication. If there's another way to be proactive with my body and my mind, I always choose that. Um, If there's another way to heal my body or, you know, not that I'm against it, but I would rather choose a natural option first. And so after my son broke his arm, 
that whole week after I was having nonstop panic attacks and it was hitting me so hard that I literally couldn't breathe. I couldn't even be in my own house. I kept reliving over and over and over again what that was like, him screaming, hearing his scream. He'd walk out of the room. Like my body was in fight or flight so bad. Anytime I would hear a noise, I couldn't go to church. I couldn't let the kids leave my side. So I called my doctor and I was like, I'm not okay. I need you to give me something right now. Like I need Xanax. I don't care what it is. I don't care how much. And he was like, okay, I know it's bad if you're asking for medicine (laughs) because you don't do that. And so he was like, I'm going to give you five pills. I want you to take it only in the evening. Hopefully this will calm it down and I want to see you next week. I'm like, okay. So I took them. Obviously it helped instantly went and saw him the next day, had like a two hour appointment. And he was like, have you always had anxiety? And I'm like, no, I'm not an anxious person. I don't think. But when I took the Xanax, it made me realize that, holy cow, like I actually am always functioning at like a nine. Like I, I've never known what calm is like. So he was like, okay, well let's put you on long-term anxiety medication. And I was like, okay. So I left He gave me the prescription. I filled it. And then after thinking through it, I was like, no, I'm not anxious. Like I'm not an anxious person. I'm a ballsy person actually. Like I don't overthink things. I just do things. I'm not worried about a lot. And so I called him back. I'm like, I just really don't think I have anxiety. I think I have anxiety around this situation, but not in general. So I don't want to take it. And he was like, okay. So I kind of pushed through, pushed through. And then after a while, I'm like, okay, this is just, I feel terrible again ended up calling him back. I'm like, I don't think it's anxiety. I think it's depression. He was like, okay, let's put you on meds. We put me on meds within the first, you know, it takes a while to get in your system within the first like month or two. I was like, okay, like I'm feeling better. I'm more positive. Like I'm good. I was on those for about a year. And then it was like, this isn't working anymore. This isn't like something's not working. I still feel terrible. I feel down. Yes. There's a lot of stressful circumstances. Um, and so he was like, well, let's up your medicine. Again, I felt super uncomfortable with that because I'm like, okay, but there's a root cause here. Like there's something else going on that's causing this and I want to find out what that is. And he just wasn't really willing to kind of go that far, Um, just the type of doctor that he was, which is fine. Anyway, I ended up doing a lot of research, getting into this like mom's Facebook group and kind of reading stuff and ended up reading about these women who were misdiagnosed with anxiety and depression and it really turned out to be ADHD. So I was like... so funny. Like I would never, like ADHD was never on my radar. So I started doing more research. I ended up taking like an at-home quiz of just like answer these questions and this will like a preliminary test. And this will let you know if you need to go see a doctor about ADHD. I was like, okay, I'm laying in bed. My husband's laying in bed next to me. I answer all the questions and it was like, boom, here's your results. A hundred percent. You have ADHD. Go see a doctor right now. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm dying laughing. I'm like talking to my husband. He's dying laughing. He's like, holy crap, like this is totally you. So we start watching like TikToks about ADHD and women and (laughs) and we're just dying laughing because we were like, this is me, 100%. Like this is me. So ended up finding a specialist in my area and who specializes in ADHD and executive functioning and stuff like that. Um, And also going through this, my son was diagnosed with dyslexia, dysgraphia, and ADHD and it, everything just kind of clicked, made sense. I had this appointment with the doctor and he was like, "Homegirl, you're like above the 97th percentile. Like, I don't even know how you've been functioning. Like, this is so bad. So I called my doctor that day because he, the doctor I went to is a psychologist. 
he was like, I can't prescribe you meds, but you know, call your doctor if you want them. You know, I was like, no, I'm calling him right now. <laughs> Called my doc. I was like, I want meds now. Like, I want to know if this is it. And if I can feel any relief, I want that relief. That's a wild story. So you weren't even looking into ADHD as being a thing in your life. It was this traumatic event with your son. First of all, that sounds so scary and overwhelming. I can't imagine being in your position, seeing something like that, hearing something like that. So you had trauma with yeah. that, right? And the trauma can lead to such hang- high anxiety. But you were vulnerable to reacting that way because you were so alone in Texas, this big move that you didn't expect. It like was a perfect recipe for being in a high emotional state. So I commend you for A, reaching out for help, considering medication to help you. Um, and then just following – like you had this gut feeling, this intuition like, all right, I feel anxiety, but it isn't lifelong. It's related to this traumatic event. I feel depressed, but that can also be related to what's going on in my life. There's something else. And you like followed your intuition and figured it out. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. I'm a very – like I gut check myself often. And I – the only reason that I know to truly trust my gut instincts and my intuition is because I haven't done that. And I didn't do that for so many years. And I listened to other people's opinions. I listened to doctors. I listened to all of these things. And most of those things misled me into a really bad spot. And I ended up making poor decisions for me, poor decisions for my kiddos when they were super young. My first child, I was very influenced very easily because I questioned this like inner knowing that I didn't know was that then. Um, and very quickly learned that no one else feels the consequences. No one else feels my body. No one else is in my mind or my body. And their opinion, while yes, if I'm seeking wise counsel, I'm going to take that into consideration. Or if I'm seeking a counselor, if I'm seeking um, somebody who's gone through this, I'm going to take it into consideration. But at the end of the day, I have to trust this gut instinct that I've been given. I know my body and I'm going to trust that knowing. and fully trusting that has given me so much healing and direction and just helped me make some really good choices for myself. Um, and it hasn't, it doesn't mean that I haven't received negativity or I still hear people's opinions or, you know, when I was dealing with this ADHD diagnosis, I had friends and family that were like, no, that's ADHD is literally not a thing. That's just what doctors say so they can medicate kids and all, you know, it just all the things. And so I very easily could have dismissed it as well based on what other people said. But like you said, I knew in my gut something was off and I was willing to fight for an answer. I didn't care what that answer was. And I wasn't ashamed of getting a diagnosis because for me, when you get a diagnosis or when you get specific data, that helps you know exactly how to respond and be proactive with your body. So um, for me, you know, and even my doctor was laughing. He's like, not many people are this happy when they receive a diagnosis. I'm like, no, this means I'm not broken. Like, I'm not a jerk. (laughs) This means that like, I have hope and I can help myself. So I was happy. I mean, not happy that I have it and I have to deal with it, but happy that I finally had answers. Yeah, you had answers and it's almost validating. Like you felt Mm -hmm. this disconnect. You're like, there's something wrong, but I can't put my finger on it. And then getting this diagnosis validates you, validates your emotions. And also you're so right. I feel like parents today, when they hear that their kid's diagnosed with ADHD, they're like poo-poo it. And they're like, oh, that's not true. Everyone's diagnosing with that. No, it's real. It's so real. And people who have it really can struggle. You know, I always use the analogy that someone with ADHD – 
is like riding a bike uphill, but you never get to coast downhill. Like you're constantly pushing mm-hmm. yourself up that hill where the rest of us, we get to the top and then we go down the other side of the hill and we coast and we know we're going to coast because we're like, okay, let's get through this stressful week. At the weekend, I can relax. People with ADHD that's untreated, you never get that downtime. You never get to coast downhill. You're constantly pedaling uphill. And with that pedal comes so much anxiety at times, secondary to it, depression, secondary to it. So it can make so much sense when you get to the root of what is going on. Yeah, absolutely. So I, so what are you taking, if you don't mind me asking, to treat your ADHD? What medication? Yes. So we, he had prescribed me and I'm so grateful that it worked right off the bat and I didn't have to try a bunch of of medicine. And I know that's not everyone's case. He ended up prescribing me and I told him I want just a very small amount. I don't want to continually like increase and increase like and cover it up. Like I really want to do cognitive behavioral therapy and make sure that I'm treating this with good nutrition and good habits and stuff. But, um, he ended up putting me on Adderall extended release, um, 10 milligrams. And I take that first thing in the morning, I eat a banana, I chug some water and I drink a cup of coffee and it just, I'm good. Like it's an absolute game changer. The first three days that I took the medicine, I genuinely cried because I was like, I've never felt this much peace of mind in my entire life. And he was like, that's how you know that you truly do have it because people who don't have ADHD who take Adderall, it like speeds them up and they're super effective and all the things. People who do have ADHD, it's almost like a Xanax. Like it literally calms you down and takes you from like a nine to like a five so that you're just more steady and stable. And that's exactly what I felt and what I feel every day. And it's a game changer. So many of my patients ask like, will I get addicted to it? And I'm like, no, if your brain needs it, it's going to help you. The people that start a bad habit with it are the people that don't need it and it speeds them up and they get this like almost like a high feeling. You see a lot of college kids abusing it. I'm like, in your case, your brain needs it. It's made for your brain. Let's try it out and see what happens. Were you afraid at all to start it? Did you have any fears about starting a medication? At that point, I was so desperate for any relief that I did not care. I think that I was more anxious to try medicine when he, when my doctor was starting me off with anxiety and depression medication. With this one, I, I genuinely didn't care. I had not one fear. I was like, I the benefits far outweigh any risks or concerns that I have at this point because I'm so tired of suffering. And now that I know, and it, what's crazy is when we went over all of my symptoms, I had a short list of symptoms. But once we identified that this was ADHD, I realized how much of my struggles, my life struggles, my relationship struggles, my daily struggles, my food struggles, my emotional struggles, my work struggles, my time management skills, how much this negatively impacted my everyday life. I never knew because that was my only norm. That's all I knew in my head before. So then when I realized, okay, all of these things are actually not normal, like it's not normal to struggle this much, I was like, no, I want medicine right now. Like, I don't care. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it does. Looking at the the risks and the benefits, I'm going to benefit far more from this medicine than any risk that could even touch me. And I don't have an addictive personality. So for me, that wasn't ever a concern. And I am very aware. I am very holistically minded. So again, it's not something that 
I'm solely depending on medication. I'm also seeking treatments in other ways and making sure my daily habits are aligning so that I'm not only surviving this, but I'm like actually thriving in it and using it, you know, to my advantage rather than my disadvantage. So I'm already like that anyway. I felt like I could trust myself with it. For those, I guess, that are scared of becoming addicted or, you know, first of all, don't listen to what other people say because most people who are saying that are so uneducated on the topic anyway. (laughs) Um, Listen to your doctor because they know. And especially if you have a doctor that you really trust and knows your body, like my doctor knew how I am with medicine. So he was like, you know, yes, like even with the Xanax, he was like, I'm going to prescribe you the Xanax. I'm only going to give you five at a time and I'm going to see you next week. And I want to make sure you have to come back and tell me what Bible study you're in, what counselor you're meeting with, what your food is like. Um, And so he also knew that that's, I wanted to be holistic and kind of look at all areas. So it's, it's a combination of things, but no, I didn't have any concerns because I was just that ready to feel relief. And I think what you're also commenting on that I love is you have a whole mental wellness routine going on. Like you have these other parts of your life that you're putting into place to cope with your emotions. You're not just dependent on the Xanax when you needed it or Adderall to function. You have a whole Rolodex of things you can do to help maintain your mental health. And I think that's awesome. And that's also a whole other conversation that people can learn from too is it's not just the medication that helps you. It's a whole set of other skills on top of that. I think that's awesome. So I'm curious, looking back, what symptoms of ADHD did you have as a kid and what symptoms do you have as an adult? Is there a difference? I would say the symptoms have gotten worse as more has been added to my plate. So I think before when I was a kid, I wasn't juggling as much. And so I didn't have as many executive functioning issues as I do or like poor working memory. I've always had poor working memory, but looking back, it's it's quite silly because looking back, I'm like, I hated math. I literally could not, if someone tells me directions, I you've lost me. Like going somewhere, directions on what to do, like anything multi-step that someone tells me I've never been able to follow. So it makes me feel stupid. I've always felt dumb. In high school, I would get lost on campus every day. Every day I was lost. And I I was at the same school the whole, all four years. But I was always like, oh, new class, math, crap, the schedule. What time is it? What teacher is it? What building is it? Like I was always confused. I was always overwhelmed. I was always functioning at like an eight or a nine. On a scale of one to 10, my stress levels were always an eight or a nine. I had no emotional stability. It was either high highs or low lows. I had relationship issues. I didn't get along with my parents. I lost things all the time. I locked my keys in my car multiple times a month and I would forget things. I always forgot binders at home. I always, I mean, everything. Looking back, I'm like, I genuinely have no idea how I survived. (laughs) Like, it's so crazy. And then on top of that, I was very impulsive. So any impulse I had, I just did it, meaning an impulse with things I said, impulse with things I felt. Um, With boys and relationships, it was like I met someone and instantly was in love with them. And I was like instantly inappropriately connected with them. And obviously they were like, hey, they were good with it. So they didn't care. And so I look back and I'm like, all of my relationships, I was like so deeply in love with these people and I had no idea who they were. This led to a teenage pregnancy because again, I'm so impulsive and I just don't care about the consequence. 
I call it the case of the efforts where I'm just like, I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with the consequences later. So very, very impulsive, not long-term thinking. And now as an adult, I look back, you know, what I struggle with now and it very much so is, and and I'm really struggling with this recently um, with executive functioning um, and working memory. I struggle to get my words out. I struggle to like, I still have auditory processing. Like I, if you tell me something, it's in one ear and out the other. And it's not that I'm trying to not remember. It's not that I'm trying to ignore people. It's just, I genuinely can't process it and keep it. Um, and so we have to be very multi-sensory with me. So we have like weekly family meetings now to cope with that, where we go over everything, um, go over our schedules, write it down. Not only do we ha- I have it written down on a piece of paper, but we also have it in our family shared calendar. Um, I have to have reminders. I have an executive assistant that I use for work who updates my Asana task list and is literally like my mom <laughs> because she's making sure that I'm actually completing my tasks. And so I have a, a very strong team around me in, in my work life that helps me cope. But I don't, I don't think I could, honestly, I don't think I could keep a job. I don't think that if I were to work for someone, I would be able to keep a job because it negatively impacts me that much. Because on the outside, it looks like I'm lazy, I'm forgetful, I'm ignoring, I'm dismissive, I'm rude because I interrupt all these things. And so I always say on the outside, I don't know if I can say a-hole on here, but like on the outside, people think I'm an asshole, but on the inside, like it, it's not lining up. Like I genuinely have like good intentions to like love people and take care of them. And, but the way that I come off doesn't match what I feel on the inside. And so that's really difficult to deal with. Um, and that's something that I've been working through with my therapist, um, who does cognitive behavioral therapy and just learning different techniques and stuff to kind of help me cope with that. But none of the things that I suffered or deal with ever were on like a list of what ADHD looked like. Like I had no idea that lack of emotional regulation was on the list of how ADHD affects you. I had no idea that poor sleep habits, lack of eye contact. I struggled to make eye contact with people. I'm super awkward in social situations. I'm literally, I, you put me on a stage and I could talk to thousands of people all day long. I could teach. I'm like the most confident person. You put me in a small room with a small group of people doing a meet and greet with wine and appetizers, and I am an absolute idiot. I don't know how to talk. I don't know how to listen. I can't make eye contact. I'm so awkward. The whole time I'm talking to people, I'm like, make eye contact, listen to them, nod your head. Yep, that's, yep, nod your head so they think you're listening. But then I'm like, oh shit, I'm not listening. I didn't even hear what they said because I was so focused on making eye. And it's just like this constant, just every, like what you said about riding a bike, there is no coasting. That's 150% how I feel. My brain never shuts down ever, even when I sleep which is something I'm working through with this. I don't even know what she's called. She's like um, functional nutrition something. And she's doing all like my hormone testing and gut testing and vitamins and supplements to try to help support this. But it's a lot. Like no one understands how debilitating this is and how, how many ways that it affects you. And what's funny is that, you know, I would always tell my mom this and she would like, no, everyone feels that that's normal, whatever. And after going through this, I'm like, mom, you have ADHD so bad too. (laughs) Like it's not normal. It's normal for you because you have it. You need to go to the doctor. 
um, because it is, it's, it's passed through families. So yeah, she, it's this running joke that we have, but I'm like, girl, I'm going to pass you one of my Adderalls because you need it. <laughs> wow. So much to say, Jamie, that was amazing. You did a beautiful description of what life is like for you. So well said. And I appreciate your level of honesty and vulnerability because so many people can relate to what you're describing, but don't know how to put it to words as well as you just did. Um, and I work with a lot of like young adults and, and women in their 20s, and they often fear that they won't have a successful life ahead of them because of the struggles you're describing. And I'm like, you can. You just have to figure out what works for you. How can you have a career with this? So what would your advice be to like a 20-something girl who has been struggling with ADHD, struggling with everything you just described, and their self-esteem is so shot. They're like, I will never be successful. What would you say to that? I would say, first of all, ADHD, while it has a lot of downsides, it is such a freaking gift. I am one of the most efficient humans you'll ever meet in your life. I'm one of the best problem solvers. I can see big picture so fast. It's like my brain wires so freaking quick and I can be in, you know, I can be with someone and talk about business and I'm like, oh, here's what you need to do. Here's how you do it. Here's what you do. Here's it all laid out, which normally that would take someone weeks, if not months to put together. But because my brain sees it completely different, I'm able to problem solve better. And and the best way that I can describe this, and I think, and it's so difficult because you know, especially when I was walking through this with my son, my son has dyslexia, dysgraphia, ADHD, and all of these things kind of have crossover. Like they're like anxiety, depression, ADHD, trauma response, like all these things do have some like crossover. I've had a lot of trauma in my life. So again, like I'm in the process of trying to decipher like what is trauma response and can I heal that part? And what is just ADHD? So I do have a lot going on in my head and in my body, which I know. But what I would say is that The way that I can describe how our brains work, which is completely different, is when you tell someone to draw a house, if you were to give someone a piece of paper and a pen and you would say draw a house, most people would draw a house looking straight at it. Most people would draw a house like, you know, the front of the house, 2D with a door, with windows and a roof, period. You tell me to draw a house and it is so detailed and it is going to be two story and I'm going to have a floor plan and I'm going to show you what that floor plan looks like and where everything fits and what the decor is going to be like. And it'll take me 2.5 seconds to instantly have that picture in my head. So I would say if you're thinking that you're not going to be successful, you're not going to be successful if you're in the wrong field. You're not going to be successful if you're trying to be like other people. You're not going to be successful if you're trying to work like other people do. You're not going to be successful if you're filled with shame and you're afraid to ask for help. Where me, I'm like, listen, I suck at follow through. I suck at multi steps with like multiple tasks in it. I suck at, you know, I'm just terrible at those things. So I have chosen to hire somebody who has a really high, amazing, incredible executive function and who's so detail oriented to combat that and to be able to say, you know, she's my filter. I'm able to say, here's my 9 million ideas. This is when I want to do it. I want to launch it tomorrow. This is how I want to do it. And she's like, okay, awesome. Give me five minutes. Okay. Now I'm going to sort it out. 
based off the way you did it. It's not ordered properly. This is how we want to order it. This would make more sense. This is the date that we can do it. This is how we're going to do it. I've just made an Asana list. I put all the tasks in there and then there, right? So I've put myself in a position where I'm not ashamed to say what my weaknesses are because I know that my strengths are so strong and so beneficial. And if I wasn't this ballsy, if I wasn't this impulsive, I never would have started this business and I would never have impacted thousands of women and had this podcast. If I never would have started this business because I was afraid I wouldn't be successful or I was comparing myself to other people. I mean, you have to understand that there are so many successful humans on this planet that have ADHD and it's because of their ADHD that they are successful. It is because of their ADHD, they had the balls and the case of the efforts where they were like, I don't care the consequences. I'm going to start up Amazon. I'm going to, you know, whatever. <laughs> and it's these crazy ideas that people think are so stupid, but it's not that the idea is stupid, is that their mind is so small in comparison to the way an ADHD mind works. Um, and so they're literally, they cannot comprehend the way that your brain already sees the big picture and it's just too big for their brain. So I would say that people who have ADHD are freaking superhumans, but they just don't know it and they haven't tapped into it because the amount of things that I'm able to accomplish and do and think and dream and do in such a short period of time are so incredible, but I couldn't do laundry every day to save my life. <laughs> I mean, doing the dishes is like the hardest task in the world and I avoid it. And so those are stupid things that anyone can do. I'll hire that out. I would rather spend my time creating, designing, making, you know, than doing, being so hell bent on, I can't organize my closet. I can't do my laundry. I can't do my dishes. Um, so I've leaned into my strengths and my weaknesses, knowing that everyone has them and your weaknesses aren't bad. There's ways to compensate for it. And there's people that can help for that. So use them. Yeah, you really have figured it out. You've seen where you have strong parts to yourself. You see where you have weaknesses. You've learned how to make an income, a really good income, being an entrepreneur. The level of creativity in a person with ADHD is unbelievable, incomparable. That's your strong suit. You can be creative. You create things. You are a business owner, self-employed entrepreneur. Those are your skills. And the fact that you've hired someone to be the executive functioning side of your brain is phenomenal. Yes. And she helps you carry out what you're thinking of. And there's so many women that can relate to what you're describing. You are basically saying you can do it. You can do whatever you want. You just have to know yourself and know where your weaknesses are and ask for help with those weaknesses. And then you will be successful. And you have to surround yourself with people that aren't going to judge when you ask for help. You have to, you know, I, the people that I'm asking for help I, are, you know, it's taken me time to surround myself with these people. But if you've got people around you that are making fun of you or making you feel bad for it or making you feel stupid about it, they probably shouldn't be in your circle. I want people who genuinely are not going to judge my weaknesses and who are going to fill those weaknesses. You know, looking back now at like your childhood, your teen years and even adulthood, how do you think your self-esteem has been impacted by having ADHD and those symptoms that go along with it? My self-esteem on a scale of like one to 10 has always been like a two. Like I have, I've always had the worst self-esteem and it's, it's little things too, again, that I didn't know were ADHD until I got diagnosed was like, I, growing up, I always was like, I'm not like any of these other girls in my group. Like, I don't even understand why they're friends with me. Like, I don't look like them. I don't mm. act like them. Like in my mind, I think I look completely different than I do. 
I feel like I don't fit in anywhere. I feel like nobody likes me. I'm like so in my head all the time, just about everything. So I would say that my self-esteem has just been terrible for the longest time. And it's just now since my diagnosis that I've finally been able to step into this level of self-confidence of like, I have been judging and shaming and absolutely abusing and hating myself and my body my entire life. And that is so unfair and unkind and not productive and not helpful for anything. And it's, you know, this has given me the freedom to love myself exactly as I am, knowing that I'm not intentionally this way. There is something that is defective in my body right now. And so just like someone who has um, diabetes, they're not walking around being like, oh my gosh, I'm the worst. I can't produce insulin. I suck. Everyone hates me. Like no one (laughs) thinks like that, right? Like that's so stupid. Like they would never. It's like, oh, something's not right. My body's malfunctioning. I need medicine to fix it. For me, I've taken the same approach. Like something's malfunctioning. My brain is missing certain hormones. It's not firing properly or it's firing differently. And I just need to kind of readjust and learn to love myself and my body and my mind exactly as it is and find ways to help and cope. So I would say this past year has been, I've had more self-confidence and more confidence in my decision-making ability, my thought processes, trusting my gut instincts, because I have finally realized, no, I'm not this terrible person. I have something that is actually not working and I need to compensate for that. And that's okay. And like my brain is a body part, just like any other part of your body. Like it's, it's an organ. And if something's not right, I, I can't will my way out of it. I can't like change just like someone who has diabetes can't wake up and be like, make insulin today. I can't do the same. Like I I can't, I I actually can't will myself out of this. Like there's something defective. I don't produce the hormones. My brain wires is wired differently. So accepting it, knowing that, and then making the best choices I can with what I have has helped increase my confidence and my self-esteem just tenfold. It sounds like you were really hard on yourself growing up, really hard on yourself as an adult, really impacted your self-worth and your self-esteem. But when you got this diagnosis, there was a moment of acceptance of who you were and that shifted your perspective and was a game changer for you and your self-esteem. Yeah. I almost felt so bad. Like I – and it was just the craziest thing of when I got the diagnosis, being able to like – it was almost like an out-of-body experience of like pulling myself back and looking at myself as not myself. It's just like an innocent little child and I'm like going to cry talking about it, but like feeling so bad for that little girl who just hated herself and had no one to help her and no one to tell her like, something's off. We need to help you. And it just made me so sad that I hated myself that much and beat myself up and just abused my mind and my body that much. And I didn't have all the information. I didn't have the data. And it just made me, just gave me a total 180 to just be so much kinder to myself. Um, and also so much kinder to other people because you have no idea what people are walking through. I didn't even know what I was walking through. And yet I still was so mean to myself and just hated myself. Um, And it just makes me sad that I lived like that for so long, but it makes me so grateful that I don't have to live like that anymore. And I can love myself and honor myself and not this like obsessive, like gross self-love of like, you're the best, you're amazing. But like, 
unconditionally love and care for myself well because I haven't done that for the past 30 years. That is so, so beautiful. And you are like a true role model right now for so many young girls, young women who are trying to be somebody in this world um, that could relate to this childhood experience of hating themselves, you know, and hating themselves because of this diagnosis or any other diagnosis that separated them from their peers. Um, Then you can look back in time and kind of try and heal that inner child, like hug her and be like, it's okay. You will be okay. You are okay now going forward. Life is going to be different now that you have this diagnosis, you have this treatment, you're making changes for yourself. You really are such a role model for so many people. And I I never understood that inner child dynamic until that point. And it it literally felt like the craziest out-of-body experience because it was like, oh my gosh, there's like this little girl inside of me that's just so broken and it's so sad. And to be able to like heal that and love her and support her now as an adult, I can function in a little bit more whole way. So it just that it was crazy. It's just amazing how vulnerable you can be on this topic. I'm so thankful that you're sharing. A few more questions. I could talk. I feel like you're talking about this in a way that makes me want to talk to you forever. This could be like a three hour interview. (laughs) I have so many. There's so many points you've brought to the table that I'm like, I want to follow up on that. I want to follow up on that. Um, One thing I'm thinking of is the impact your young adult life had, or even like your teen and child years, the impact of growing up with these challenges, how did that impact your role in your family system? Like how did that impact your family relationships you think and your role of who you were in the family? I think that I have, it's been hard. I've always had a very difficult dynamic with everyone in general. And and the difficult dynamic at first was because I was labeled difficult. I was labeled too much. I was um, just too much for everyone. And now looking back on it, a lot of the discipline and correction that I received, not only from my parents, but from a faith perspective, um, from the church, from mentors, um, was very much so not rooted in what was best for me, but what was more comfortable for them. And that was really difficult for me. And it was very healing for me to look back and say, no, No, like none of that advice was sound and none of that advice was for me. That was for them. And they corrected me because it made them uncomfortable with the questions that I asked or the way that I asked it or the things that I was doing or that I was willing to do certain things and they weren't. Or I've I've always made people really uncomfortable and I've always thought that that was a fault of mine. Um, And so I think that I have now gained a lot more respect from family members now that they see who I am now and now that I'm actually showing up authentically without apology. Whereas before, I would dismiss my needs and dismiss my gut instinct to please them. And I I wasn't myself. And not only did I hate myself, but they hated me. And now that I'm able to authentically show up without apology, be very clear, very stable, very steady, know exactly who I am, what I want to do, I think that I've gained a lot more respect. But What that has also caused is a lot of separation. Um, There's a lot of family members that I'm not in relationship with anymore because of their dysfunction and them being unwilling to kind of deal with it on their end and it negatively impacting me. 
So me having to really create harsh lines in the family tree of saying that has to stop with you. It's not going to be passed down to me and it's not going to be passed down to those below me, which is hard. And again, when you're doing it, you think something's wrong with me. I'm the jerk. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm these things. And when you see it all laid out, you know, and I do this exercise with the women that I work with, but we essentially make this, this bubble of me. Okay. So here's Jamie, here's this bubble and we've got all these branches coming out and it's, you know, mom, dad, grandpa, aunts, uncles, friends, whatever. And, and, and I have them and I did it for myself and we write down the good qualities and the bad qualities. And I write down, who am I right now? And am I this way? Because I have subconsciously allowed these things to pass through into me or because I'm choosing this. And then we physically cross out the bad and the things we don't want and keep it out of our circle. And we draw green lines into our circle and say, this is what I want to pass down into my family tree and into myself and what I want to live with. And so now looking back at all of these hard decisions that I've had to make with cutting people off and choosing to not be a part of things, it is difficult, but I'm so grateful. And I'm only in the place that I'm at today because of those really difficult decisions that I've made. So the very small circle that I have now with family is great, but it has caused disruption. It has caused fights, hard relationships, hard decisions, hard conversations. And the people who are here now, um, kind of in my circle and in my life are there because I want them to be there and vice versa. So I, I don't believe in doing things because you have to, or having people in your life because they're family. I, I don't, I, it's my choice. I have the opportunity to choose who's in my circle and who's not. And just because you're biologically, my sister, brother, aunt, uncle, grandpa does not mean that you have the right to be a part of my daily life. Um, and I, I get that choice. So it's caused disruption, but I think for the better, for sure. Yeah. Sometimes you have to make those changes for yourself and for your children. Sometimes there's cycles of dysfunctional patterns or behaviors that are just entering us subconsciously, as you said, that we can easily pass down to our to our children, or we can become more consciously aware of them and choose to react differently and change the story of the family, change the narrative, change the game. So the children that come after us live a better life, live a happier life, live, develop functional patterns and no longer pass down this dysfunction. Um, but to go back a little, it sounds like there's a moment in time where you were the one that was too much, too much to deal with, almost like you were the problem in the family, like the problem child. You know, Always. a lot of people can relate to being the problem child or the good kid. For you, you were the problem child. Um, and with that, it probably hurt your self-esteem. It probably You probably carried out that pattern of relating in your friendships too. Maybe you were a problem with some friends yep. or a problem in relationships. So you kind of leaned into that at some points because of the narrative. But as you've grown up, you've grown into yourself, you've discovered yourself, there's so much understanding to who you are, not only within yourself, from yourself, but to the people around you who loved you and love you now. They know they have a greater understanding of who Jamie really is and that has shifted the perspective and shifted some relationships for the better. And if those relationships couldn't adapt, it looks like you weeded them out and got rid of them, which is amazing. Yep. I, I've always been the problem in most situations. No, I, I would say I've always been like the disruptor. Like I'm, I'm the one who is not afraid to speak my mind, not like when I think of the conversations that we have with family or hard situations, you know, for example, my sister, her her husband, she had just had a baby and her husband um, was not faithful to her. 
And everyone in the family is like, um, you know, whatever you want to do, like, we're going to support you. But then behind the scenes, they were like, that piece of crap, he's such a jerk. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, no, you can't do that. Like, you don't get, that is like not being honest with her. You need to be upfront with her and how you really feel because that's going to come out. And so when we would have conversations, I was like, no, I'm, I'm angry at him. Like, this is unacceptable. This is going to impact you in so many ways. This is, you know, and she ended up not talking to me for a good year and a half because she was like, no, I don't want that negativity. And for me, I'm like, dude, little do you know, everyone's talking crap behind your back, but I'm the only one that says it to your face. But yeah, I'm the jerk because I'm being honest with you. Um, and so I would say I'm definitely the disruptor that way because I'm, I'm very okay with having confrontational conversations. Cause in my mind, confrontation isn't bad. Confrontation is productive. It's either going to be productive and, and help the situation, or it's going to show that the situation should no longer be there. And it's going to weed out the people who shouldn't be there. And so that has caused a lot of disruption too. So it's been hard. Um, but I'm learning to be honest, but also know when to speak. And obviously that comes with wisdom and learning. So, um, but yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's crazy now in your adult life, Jamie, you're not the disruptor. You're the solution for so many women. You're the helper for so many women um, with all the programs, all that you teach, all that you do in your career. You're no longer the disruptor. You are <laughs> the solution for so many people, which is like such a um, contrast to what you felt growing up and you like leaned into the opposite direction. You used your strengths and you are so helpful for so many people now, which is, it's such a beautiful gift. You're right. It's a gift. So one last question before you, before we head to wrap up, I know you said you go to therapy. I'm a therapist. So I love to ask questions about therapy. How has therapy been helpful for you and what do you like about therapy? I love therapy. I wish that sessions were not an hour. I wish I could have like a three-hour session every time I go to therapy. Um, my cognitive behavioral therapist now knows that he can never book one hour with me, that he always has to book at least two um, because I I genuinely love working through things um, even when it's hard. I am a talker for sure, and I just love processing with things, you know, processing verbally with people. Um, the right people for sure. So I would say I do different kinds. So I do cognitive behavioral therapy, which is more like problem solving focused. My cognitive behavioral therapist is really wonderful. He is so awesome about listening to the problem, my, my pain points and the way that you do cognitive behavioral therapy or the way that we do it, I don't know what everyone does, but the way that we do it is I don't see him weekly or regularly. I see him when I'm struggling. And so I see him And I usually say like, I'll have like two or three things that I just haven't been able to problem solve myself. And then I go to him and then we kind of problem solve through those very specific things. So we have very specific strategies. So we're, we're changing behaviors and the way that my mind connects and different things like that and habits and stuff. So, um, that's different than talk therapy, which I do as well. So, um, when I see him, he's so good about listening to what I'm saying, validating how I feel about it making me feel so okay about it and then problem solving. And it's almost like I come in and I'm so emotional and I'm so upset and I'm like out of 10. And then he like anchors me down, brings me to this calm place where my executive functioning can come back because I'm not in fight or flight mode and I'm not, you know, overly emotional. He brings me back down 
centers me back. And then we're able to problem solve and think long-term, which is so great. And he whiteboards things out and I take notes the whole time and it's just so good. So that's kind of how we do cognitive behavioral therapy. I love it. It's incredible. Um, talk therapy. I'm in the process of finding a trauma-informed therapist who also knows ADHD well, which has been a challenge. Finding someone locally plus COVID and stuff. So I was doing talk therapy just virtually, which was just incredible. I, And again, I get things really quick. And once I get it, I get it. That's it. And so it just was funny because after three sessions with this new therapist, she was like, girl, I've got a therapist high right now. Like, oh, we've made so much progress. You don't need me. Like, you're so good. I'm like, no, no, I still need you. <laughs> um, and so, so that is more of like the, I say like cognitive behavioral therapy is like acceptance and looking forward in the future. My talk therapy and life coaching that I do is reconciling my past to my current and making me feel whole again. And so that is something that I'm going to be a lot more aggressive here in the next few weeks. I finally found um, a therapist, like I said, a counselor who does, who's trauma informed because I've had a lot of trauma, which I didn't even mention any of it here, but I've had a lot, like a lot, a lot of trauma um, in my childhood, um, growing up, teen, young adult life, somebody who is trauma informed, who can help work through that. Um, and then decipher the difference between what is coming out as my trauma response, what is actually truly ADHD, how to kind of reconcile that, how to deal with it, um, and really kind of healing my past. So that's the therapy that I have been doing. And I genuinely wish I could go to therapy like twice a week if I could. <laughs> I love that you are prioritizing your mental health. It's so important and it's usually on the back burner for so many people. And it sounds like you make an effort to put that in your schedule. You look forward to it. You know you feel different after. It's just time, an hour or two to yourself and you are changing because of it. And that's amazing. That is so, it makes me so happy to hear that. I love when people share their positive experiences. So thank you for being vulnerable with that. Yeah. Thank you. Jamie, this has been awesome. I cannot wait to, to share this with everybody. There's so many people that can relate to what you're talking about, use you as a role model, someone to look up to. It's just, I'm so grateful for your time. How can people find you and connect with you and what services do you offer right now? Yeah. So they can go to Instagram um, and follow me there, which is just the Mac House Co. Uh, my website is themachouseco.com. Um, my podcast is the Unfiltered Motherhood Podcast, where we talk about just all things mental, physical, emotional well-being with motherhood, challenges in motherhood, lots of problem solving. I've got a couple courses. I've got one course that is called the Confident Mom Method, where I help women learn to just get themselves ready every day. That's been a big game changer for me, just getting that first domino in my day going of just waking up, getting myself ready. It gets me out of any funk that I'm in and just helps me be so much more productive. So I teach women how to do that. Um, again, I was a hair and makeup artist for 14 years, so there's some fun beauty stuff in there. But it really is more about ditching the guilt of taking care of yourself and learning how to get ready efficiently and so you feel good and confident. I have a course um, called Healthy Happy Mom where we talk about all of this. I have, you know, just lots. You can go to the website and there's lots of freebies and lots of master classes that you can do, um, which is super fun. And, and then I do individual one-on-ones um, -on -ones for anyone who wants one-on-one -on -one problem solving because I'm such a good problem solver. <laughs> 
Oh, that's awesome. I will link all of those resources in my show notes for anyone listening that's interested in connecting with you. So thank you again, Jamie. It's been an honor to hear your story. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed listening to the information shared during this episode. Please consider subscribing so you can stay updated when new episodes are released. And don't forget to check out the podcast show notes to find any resources that were mentioned in today's conversation. Thank you for listening and enjoy all the moments your day has to offer you.